0: I just uh, I feel very pastoral today, in a sense that um, I woke up this morning with such a heavy heart after studying on this chapter of Second Peter, chapter two of all the false prophets and the false teaching. And I can't even share with you the thoughts I woke up with this morning of some some of the studies is just so i might allude to them briefly but um yeah it's just very overwhelming upsetting to think what's happening in our world and so let's pray father we're thankful for your goodness we're thankful Father, that you are the one who spoke order out of chaos and that you brought light into the world and Jesus is the true light, the light that has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. And we are thankful for you, Jesus. We're thankful for you as the light of the world, as the way, the truth, the life. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning that you would correct us where we need correction, that you would rebuke us where we need rebuking, where you would encourage us where we need encouraging. You would give us hope and that your word of truth would go forth in Jesus' precious name. So you're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2, And I want you to just hold there because we'll get there in a minute, okay? I'm going to read you a couple verses, though. I'm reading from John chapter 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then from that, same chapter verse 31 to the Jews who had believed him Jesus said if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples not just people who claim to be but claim people who hold his teaching and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and then speaking about the devil and the devil's followers in verse 44 you Belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Just imagine how ironic that is. That Jesus would come as the way, the truth, and the life. That he would speak the truth and people would not listen to him because he's speaking the truth. And we need to realize just how twisted that is. How, how warped it is. And how, especially in our day and age, that uh, right now, what is truth? What you might understand to be truth. And what your children are being taught of what is truth, is radically, radically, radically different. And it's chasing, chasing so rapidly, we can hardly keep up. And so we've been talking about what is truth, and we're talking about it because Second Peter chapter 2 says there were false prophets. And he's talking about the false prophets in the Old Testament. And he says there will be false teachers in your day. So false teaching is anything that would detract from the truth. Anything that would probably try to lead people astray from the truth. So there is a truth and Jesus represents that truth. He teaches that truth. And whoever teaches anything that would lead people astray from the truth that God teaches through his son Jesus is a false teacher. And they don't just stand up and say, I'm a false teacher. They, they secretly introduce Destructive heresies that will lead people astray. And so I want to just take a moment, just in an introduction of just some thoughts about truth. Okay? Here's what we would hope people would understand about truth. That truth is something we continue to learn and we adjust our life to truth. Here's what your children are being taught. You adjust truth to your life. And today we would understand as adults who are clinging to Jesus' truth, we would recognize that we do not create truth. He is the truth. He declares the truth. We respond to what he declares as the truth. Our children are being taught that they can create truth according to whatever they want it to be. And truth for a young person is, this is how I feel. This is the truth. It may be the truth of how you feel, but it's not the truth as far as the objective objective reality of the world. And so truth is something you feel about. It is something that you want it to be. Truth is something you decide and you create. That's what is the, the worldview of today. But we know that truth is something that you adjust your life to. Otherwise, your life will be wrecked. You don't change truth to adjust to you. You would change your life to adjust to truth. Otherwise, you will be wrecked. We do not create truth. We discover truth. You obey truth. You line your life up with truth. So when we come to Peter's letter, you have to realize this guy has lived a while. He's coming to the end of his life and he's writing what he would think would be some of the most important words he could possibly pen to keep on record so that people would always remember these things. And one of those things is to remember is that there's going to be false teachers. And so I'm going to read this chapter, and we're going to just take a big picture. I hope you have a Bible in your hands, and if you don't, don't grab one with you, because it, there's so much information here. I can't possibly begin to follow all the all what it could contain and all what it's leading to. But the big picture is there's false teachers. And they will secretly want to misrepresent the truth. They'll tell you ten or fifteen truths, and then they'll tell you one lie. And then they'll tell you nine truths and they'll tell you one lie. Then they will tell you seven truths and one lie. Then they will tell you five truths and one lie. And eventually, you'll be ready. And anything they say, anything that comes down the pipe will be uh, a new idea of truth. It was interesting. Phil and I were talking this morning, and we talked earlier this week, and he was uh, doing some things. With just the commercials that had come on TV. And for an example, in 1956, they did a car commercial. What do you think the car commercial was about in 1956? What was it about? It was about cars. They talked about the engine, the engine, they talked about uh, the, the transmission, the, and they talked about this car and its specifics, car. Fast forward, 2021, what do you think a car commercial is about today? What's that? Yeah, the climate, or what else? Politics. They're selling a worldview. They're selling sexuality. They're selling perversion. And they're using cars just just to draw your attention away from what they're really trying to tell you. And they're selling a worldview. And so we want to step back and say, hey, what worldview are you listening to today? What's being sold? What is being told? It was interesting. um, Like the the pictures I had to deal with this morning, uh, doing the study the last couple weeks, and even from the worldviews class. Of trying to teach um, healthy sexuality to young people, and so I remember things like that horrible movie based on truth, *Nefarious*. It's a couple of you saw it. It uh, about human trafficking. And then uh, there was a book I read by a police officer, and it described the grooming process and the horrible. Uh, behavior of human trafficking, and and, and just thinking about uh, Phil made a comment to me this morning that they were asking, "What is pornography like today?" Not what is like, but what do people think of it? Okay, the average young person thinks of it as just how to relax. It's just normal part of entertainment in relaxation. And I'm just thinking, wait, what about about lies what kind of lies are being told today and you can hardly stomach some of the things that are being told it's crazy so truth is not what you create truth is what you discover as you learn and you will continue to learn but you don't create reality you adjust your life to reality And if you start thinking that you create reality, then you're putting yourself in the place of God. And that's one of the first things Peter says, they deny the master and Lord. They deny the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. And they bring the way of truth into discredit, disrepute, blasphemy. And so that's what we're dealing with. Second Peter chapter two, verse one, but there were false teachers. There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So this is, this chapter is a huge warning. It's a warning, a warning, a warning, a warning, be aware. And one of the things that dawned on me again this week, um, you could go through here and you could start thinking about, well, what do we do? Do we, do we name every false teaching? And do we name the people that are teaching those false teachings? I thought, yeah, we could do that. But what about this? What if we say, you know what? Let's get to know the truth. Let's get to know Jesus. Let's be so close with Jesus that when the truth is there, which is him and the teaching, it rings true to us. And when false teaching comes, It rings sour to us and we can recognize it because we spend time with Jesus. And it's so devious today. There's so much Kool-Aid being drunk and there's so much uh, lies being told. It would be hard, impossible. I can't remember the exact number, but I know the number 11. It was either 11 billion or 11 million pornographic sites on the internet. And the guy was saying that you could spend the rest of your human life visit each site. And there's people that are promoting that. So we have to realize there's false teachers among us. And there's false people propagating their own wares. They will secretly introduce destructive heritage Pharisees, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute in their greed. These teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up who likes to be exploited. Who wants to be exploited? Pay attention. All of us pay attention Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons, wrapping them in the chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, And made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful Do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, a brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are, men are springs without water and mists driven by the storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people. Who are just escaping from those who live in air. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it all and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true, a dog returns to his vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to wallow in the mud. Last week we just talked about the introduction there where he said there's there's false teachers and there's two main areas that he included. He could have included a lot of other ones, but he talked about the personhood of Jesus, that Jesus is equal with the Father and he talked about the fact that he died for people, that his shed blood. So those two critical things. And then he goes on talking about the characteristics and the natures. He doesn't go into a lot of detail about what they taught. But there are three examples of past judgment that he includes in the story. One was the judging of angels. Two was the judging of the ancient world in the flood. And the third was the judgment of Sodom. Adam and Gomorrah. and just as you look at these examples, some big picture of them. If, he, if God judges angels and you and I would think, you know what? We're too, we're too close to God to be judged. We're too right to be judged. We're too healthy or wealthy to be judged. If God judged angels... Man better be wary if man thinks that he's above judgment. No one is above or beyond God's judgment. Some people just think they might be. Some people may be in this uh, situation where they're mocking God and they're thinking they're out of touch. Well, God judges angels. And we'll read about that again. The ancient world. You You know what? This book... It's just an old document. It doesn't apply to today. It doesn't make any sense. Listen, you're dealing with a God who judged the ancient world. And he doesn't forget the past will be brought to light. You might forget what you've done. Other people might forget what they've done forget what you've done. But we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. And you know what? If you can't remember, it's okay. Because books will be opened. It says books will be opened. And your life and my life will be read. And hopefully your life and my life says under the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in his finished, accomplished work, his sufficient work on the cross. And when it opens to the page of your life and my life, it says covered under the blood of Jesus. And for others who are not trusting in Jesus for their salvation, there'll be a reveal. And so these statements about Peter saying, listen, if God could judge angels and if God could judge the ancient world, and if God could judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, cities, people groups, people groups and cities that say, you know what, there's no God. We can just do whatever we want. We can set up our own little kingdom and we can barricade off the world and we'll have our own little kingdom. You cannot hide in a crowd or a crowd can't hide in the world. Be sure your sin will find you out. So one of the things I was thinking about, you could take and go a lot of ways with this sermons. And a lot of, you could, you could preach this sermon probably 50 different ways, but you want to be true to the text, so that draws you in. And what I thought, I wonder today, if we even have a clue, if we even know what Peter's talking about, where he says angels were judged. I wonder if we know that there, we could remember there was a time where the ancient world was judged. I wonder if we remember about Sodom and Gomorrah. So I thought the simplest thing to do, is let's just go back and let's just read some of that. So I would invite you, if you have your Bible, to go to Genesis chapter 6. And we're just going to put some of this in context. And then we can say, well, Peter has a reason for bringing up historical events. And people have a reason for trying to erase history, history and historical events. And trying to move boundaries And trying to redefine things. You know what? It's all based on false teaching. And it's all based in trying to move the boundaries and redefine what's true. So that they can have their way, whoever they are. And it's interesting as Peter goes through there. He talks about they and them, these false teachers. He's identifying people. But he doesn't give names other than Balaam. So let's go back to Genesis and just read some of this and let the Bible um, challenge us. And I'm just going to read a few of these passages. Obviously, we don't have time to unpack all the details. But in Genesis chapter 6, this is where he's referring to angels were judged. When men began to increase on earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married them and they, any of them they chose. Now it's interesting as you study this, there's in different interpretations, there's different understandings of what took place, but as men and women were increasing on the earth, the reference here refers to angels saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they wanted to have sex with them and they did and God judged him. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. He is mortal. His days will be numbered 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, they were the heroes of old men of renown. Now, if you don't, I don't want you to turn there because I want you to stay in that passage. But in Jude... Jude, which reads almost like Jude had Peter's letter in his hand, and Peter had Jude's letter in his hand when they wrote about these things. Listen to what Jude says. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. I want to to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their home, these he has also kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah. So Peter and Jude both refer back to these events. And Jude gives us a little insight into what God was talking about when, he record, when this was recorded by Moses that these angels left their position. They left their servanthood of God and they took women. Look at verse five. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now, listen, I want you to understand. I want you to take that to heart. That verse is talking about humanity and you, You're part of humanity. Your heart needs the light of God. Your heart needs the truth of God. Your mind needs to be continually washed over with the truth of God, the life of God, the the what's up, what's down, because your heart is inclined to sin. Your heart, my heart. The most important thing to see in, in Peter is that he's talking about human beings. Human beings can be corrupt. Human beings are false teachers. Human greed are greedy. We're adulterers. We entice. We're carried along by lust and ungodliness. And that's what he's talking about here. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all people on earth had corrupted their ways. And we've just been struggling with violence. Bad. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. Filled with violence because of them. Them. And we're trying to shift the blame for our violence on all kinds of things instead of saying, listen, our hearts are lost. We're dark. We need God. We need need truth. We need light. And if we don't have God and we don't have truth and we don't have life, we we resort to the lowest common denominator. We're barely more than animals anyway. Created in the image of God and apart from his image in us, We carry out animalistic behavior on a regular basis. We need God. We need God bad every day. We need to be in a state of humility and repentance. And apart from that, we're in a state of arrogance, blasphemy, Let me get a couple of those things out of my mind from the study. Let's flip to chapter 18 of Genesis. That was God's judgment through the flood on God's judgment on the angels, putting them in chains of deepest darkness. There's some angels that thank God he limited their behavior and he curved them back And he's holding them in chains of deepest darkness, Peter says, for the future judgment. The other angels, there's uh, angels that fell from heaven. They're demons. They have some degree of ability to move about the earth. And they are part and parcel. Timothy talks about doctrines of demons being taught. So we have moved to Genesis chapter 18. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, just so that you can put it in place and you can see what's going on here. Men's hearts are wicked. They're inclined toward wickedness. Here's a story of a couple cities, right? Genesis, we're going to start in verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. So, God came to Abraham in the form of a couple angels. Abraham had dinner with them. They're getting ready to leave. And they're wondering if they should tell Abraham what's going to take place. So that's the discussion we're joining in on. Verse 17, then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. So keep the way of the Lord. Second Peter, it says they left the way. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, and Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Think about that. Will you sweep away the righteous with the, with the wicked? He's asking the holy one, the true one, the right one, if he will do right. What if our world knew today that God would do what is right? We're questioning him on every facet of life, whether he knows right from wrong. We're questioning him. Abraham was making a statement here saying, of course he's going to do what is right. What if there are fifty righteous people in this city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of fifty? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. So Abraham already has a sense that God this God, this God, isn't a God like that. He's not just capricious. He doesn't judge the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course he will. Of course he will do right. He did right then. He'll do right now. He'll do right in the future. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. I'm going to paraphrase Because I want um, us to be able to keep staying with the story and not uh, zone out. So pay attention. If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if I find only 40? For the sake of 40, I'll not do it. Then he said, Abraham speaking, may the Lord not be angry. Let me speak again. What if only 30 can be found? Lord answered, I will not do it if 30 are found. They went all the way down to 10. He answered, for the sake of the 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. Chapter 19, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. So Lot is the guy, one of the two guys that Peter names, that God can take care of the righteous. God took care of Lot. And Peter brings that up, and he compares them with the people that were judged, the angels that were judged, the ancient world that was judged, and the two cities that were judged. Noah and Lot were preserved. That's what Peter's pointing out. And he's trying to help us understand God's got this. God's got this. Lord will take revenge. The Lord will judge. It's the Lord's job, not us. We can't take matters into our own hands. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You and I are going to get ourselves into some sticky situations. We need to remember who's in charge. God is in charge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We know him who will judge, and he will judge justly. Leave that in his hands. He goes on here and he says, the two angels arrived at the city gate. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords," he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. To totally understand the story, what's going to take place, is you have to understand in that day, at that time, the law of the land was that when strangers and visitors, visitors come to your town you take care of them you're obligated to take care of them that's just what you do and they would come to the city area where people meet when they're traveling through and they would just wait and sure enough somebody would come and say hey i'll take you in for the night that's what you do okay so that's why lot is doing this no, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go. That they went with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. Basically, he's saying, bring them out so that we can rape them, that we can abuse them. That we can have our own way with them. Because we understand what's supposed to happen. We're the ones who are in charge here. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him. And he said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. And you can deal with them what you want. But don't do anything to these men. For they've come under my protection and my roof. Now obviously you're going, what? He was gonna put his daughters out there? Well, this is a this is a situation where unless God intervenes, you're facing certain death because the house is surrounded by all the people of the village. They're gonna get what they want. But God intervenes. But the men reached the men inside the house reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, daughter, anyone else in this city who belongs to you? Get them out of here. Because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Ah. I can't begin to fathom what that might mean in all the implications, the outcry from humanity because of their vileness is going up to the Lord. It's so great. God has to do something because God is just, God is holy. God is righteous. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-law thought he was joking. Can you imagine that? I can. Look at the news, pay attention to what's going around us. People think it's a joke. They think God's a joke. They think the second coming of Christ is a joke. They think truth is a joke that you can just decide one day you can wake up and decide. I want truth to be different and and pay no cost and pay no penalty and start to believe and live in a lie as if it's the truth and have no consequences. It's not going to happen. The problem with the consequences, only some of them are immediate Anybody ever here put their hand on a hot stove and you pulled it away, right? And the next day you didn't try it again, right? See if the stove was hot. Those are called consequences. But there's certain consequences that aren't immediate and those are dangerous. Those are the ones that we just imagine. We can imagine them away, but we can't imagine them away. Because the truth and reality is choices have consequences. They thought he was joking. They thought it was a joke. The warning is not heeded. The warning was not taken. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters and get them out of here, or you'll be swept away. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand. You know, if you've got somebody in your life that you love and they're hesitating, to follow the truth of God, to walk in the light, grab them by the hand, give them a yank as best you can and try to urge them, try to correct them, try to instruct them. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his children and they led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. And there's another thing about twisted truth. You could try to encourage somebody out of a destructive way of life, and you're going to be labeled as a hater. You're going to be labeled as one who is twisting the truth rather than trying to be merciful to somebody who's trying to twist reality before reality comes back. As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere. Flee away to the mountains. But Lod said to them, No, my Lord, please let me go to this closer city. You've shown great kindness to me, but I can't flee there. The disaster will overtake me. Then my life. let me go to this other city. Verse 21, he said to them, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. The Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Verse 29, God destroyed the cities on the plain. He remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So we go back to 2 Peter. So there's the context in a sense of what Peter is remembering and knowing. And uh, he learned that from the scriptures himself, Jewish history, Jewish authorities of the day had commentators' stories. They would tell these stories around the campfire. They would say, this is who God is. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. And God is right. So, in verse 4, If God did not spare angels, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. And the word hell there is a word for chains of deepest darkness. Putting them into the gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. God can do that. And God did do that. He has the power and the authority to do that. You know what? Angels could be among us. It tells us in Hebrews, we wouldn't even know it. So who do we think we are in the sense that we can get away and get out from under God's judgment. It's a dreadful thing. Hebrews 12, do you remember the verse? It's a dreadful thing. Uh, Let me see, just give me a second here. Okay. It says, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptly with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the angels learned that. And the ancient peoples learned that. And Sodom and Gomorrah learned that. And you and I need to learn that. So Peter's warning us. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. We can take great comfort in the sense that God can distinguish between good and evil. We might be confused of the difference between good and evil, but we have a God who is not, and we can be so grateful for that. We can be so grateful that God is not confused about left and right, up and down, hot and cold, truth and lies. God is not confused. If we are, we need to get closer to him. If we are, we need to be in his word. We need to practice and obey the truth. Bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings yet even angels although they are stronger and more powerful do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the lord i think about the the mockery of god and the mockery of jesus the mockery of the holy spirit the mockery of angels these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand they're like brute beasts creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed they're like beasts And like beasts, they too will perish. Apart from the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you and I, we are barely more than mere animals. With the person of the Holy Spirit working in us that which is pleasing to Him, bringing out the reality of the image of God created in us, we are more than animals. And much different than animals we should be. If we're acting like animals, we're far from God. They will be paid back, harm for harm, for the harm they have done. Their pleasure is to crowds in broad daylight. Interesting, you used to just do your deeds of darkness in the darkness. Now they're broadcasting in daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reviling, reveling in their pleasure while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable, experts in greed and a cursed brood. They've left the straight way. Interesting. Peter was very familiar with that chapter back there, wasn't he? The word from the Lord was Abraham was said, teach them to walk in the ways of the Lord. Which ways are you and I following? Are we following the the ways of the Lord? They have wandered off the straight way to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. You know what? He was rebuked by a donkey. And when we're it's interesting that When you step away from the truth of God, the light of God, the way of God, a donkey has more sense than a human being. I know that for my own life. I desperately need to be recalibrated on a regular basis with the truth. My compass needs to be adjusted on a regular basis to the truth. I need to get back on my face near the shepherd. Honor him. Ask for his help every day. Because we're see, we're swimming in a sea of relativity. We're sw- swimming in a cesspool of false teaching, false ideas. And we need him to keep us on course. These men are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. They mouth empty, boastful words and appeal to the lustful desires. Think about that. Spend some time just studying on that. They're mouthing, boasting all these things they can produce and give, but it's emptiness. Lots of wind, lots of clouds, no rain, no substance, nothing of value. And they're appealing to lustful desires of human nature. They know. They know what they're doing. The world, the world system, they're appealing to humans' lustful nature. And they're going to lead humans astray wherever they decide that day. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. You know what? Heresies are harmful. And good people who teach lies often do the most damage. And I use good in the word in quotes because they seem to care for people. They seem to want to teach things that are right and helpful. And they can be even do worse damage and more pain because their teachings seem so sincere and so upright. So the warning is: pay attention. They're like dogs. That return to their vomit. I thought about that for a second, and I just leave this illustration. I was driving by a farmer's field real recently, and you know the calves are born, and you know the mother cow designed by God, eats the placenta. It was a horrible sight. (laughs) But I'm look at what Peter he's trying to drum up what he could think about dog. Returning to its vomit. And so, a huge warning. A sow, once washed, goes back to wallow in the mud. You know, you and I, if we're not continually in God's word, growing closer to Him through intimacy, my sheep know my voice, my sheep follow my voice. If we're not practicing scripture, We're going to be hoodwinked. We're going to be enticed. We're going to be led astray. We're not going to know the truth. We're going to be confused. And so we have to stay in his word, all of us. And thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Man, maybe we could sing that song, Scott. Thy word, what a beautiful song that is. Let me just take a second. Lord, we're just thankful for your precious word. What a serious warning that Peter left with these people that he loved who were being chased out of their homes and they were living in, as aliens and strangers mistreated, persecuted. However, the world was not worthy of them. And Lord God, we want to have your light shine on our path. We want to know your truth. We want you to lead and guide us. We want to acknowledge our ignorance our arrogance, our subjectivity, our proclivity to sin and weakness and the loss of the flesh. And we just want to acknowledge our need for you to guide us and to guard us and protect us. Help us to love the people we're with. Help us to love the people you put in our path. And God, help us to walk in your truth. And that's how we'll do it by loving people. Walk in your truth and loving people and continuing to be bathed in your light so that you can point out the darkness that's creeping in and keep it at bay. And Jesus, we just acknowledge our need for you. In your precious name, amen. So we're off the camera. and I'm thankful for that. And we want to just take a couple of minutes to share any prayer requests or some of our um